0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's wonderful to see you guys again. It's been the first time in a month that I've seen real faces out here in front of me. Uh, so I am so glad to be able to join with you. Thank you for your prayers for my family. Last week we had a little bit of a uh, what we thought may have been uh, COVID symptoms, but it turned out to be uh, nothing after testing. So I thank you for your prayers. Everyone in the family is doing well now. This Sunday, we rejoin our study of the book of Galatians. And so I would invite you to open your Bibles there to Galatians. We will be in chapter 2 looking at just two verses, verses 15 and 16. But these two verses may be the most important in all the book of Galatians for understanding Paul's overriding message. These two verses really hone in on what it is that Paul is seeking to communicate throughout the rest of this book. Now, as you remember, the occasion for Paul's writing of this letter is that there has been an infiltration of false ideas into the Galatian churches. There were individuals preaching a different gospel than the one that Paul and the rest of the apostles had originally preached to the people in Galatia. And these individuals were claiming that to be made truly right with God, one needed not only faith in Jesus Christ, but also works of the law that was demonstrated by the outward sign of circumcision. And Paul is now actively combating this idea that you need to add works of the law to faith in Jesus Christ. Many of you might be familiar with the program Evangelism Explosion, sometimes just referred to as EE. It was an evangelistic program that was developed by the Presbyterian minister D. James Kennedy And this program developed two diagnostic questions that was to help Christians begin an evangelistic conversation. The first question was, have you come to a place in your life where you know that if you died, you would go to heaven? And the second question, if you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? The second question really comes to the heart of what Paul is speaking to here in verses 15 and 16. If you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? This is the most important question that we need to be sure that we have properly answered ourselves. Why should God allow you into His heaven? What right does anyone have to claim God's eternal peace and rest? We are all on this unstoppable track towards eternity. There is no escaping the reality that one day you will meet your Maker. And when you do, what will be your ground for claiming His reward? This is the question that verses 15 and 16 answer. And this is why Paul is so insistent that a different gospel is no gospel at all. For if we get this wrong, we will not only miss the reward of eternity, but we will enter into eternal punishment. So why should God allow you into His heaven? Well, let us turn to the Word of God. And see what he has spoken to us through his apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. This is God's holy word for his people. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let us pray. O blessed You are, great Lord and God, For the testimonies of the prophets, we bless You. For the statutes of Your law, we bless You. For the Gospel of Christ and the witness of the apostles, we bless You, O glorious God. Grant us the Spirit of Your glory and the brightness of Your presence, that as we read and reflect upon Your Word, that we might have true understanding and enlightenment through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. To understand these verses, the first thing that we need to know is what this term justify means. It shows up three times in these two verses. And so we need to understand what this term means. Now, as we read through the New Testament, we see the word justify means to declare someone to be righteous or not guilty. Listen to the way that it's used in Romans chapter 8. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. The situation that Paul brings to mind is that of a courtroom. And he is asking... Who could bring any charge, who can bring any accusation against God's people seeing that God has already justified them? That is, God has rendered a verdict. God is the judge of the earth and he as judge has rendered a verdict and his verdict is not guilty. That's what it means to justify, to say not guilty. And if God as judge has said not guilty... Who has a right to say that someone is guilty? That is, who can condemn? Now, we know that human judges can make mistakes, right? There are times when someone who is guilty is justified. And there are times when those who are innocent are condemned. Judges do not always get their judgments correct. However, it is their job and it is their aim to try as best as they can to follow proverbs seventeen fifteen, which says he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both like an abomination to the lord right the job of a judge is to discern if someone is guilty or innocent and if they are guilty they condemn and if they are innocent they justify now we must get this clear If we are to understand what Paul is saying in verses 15 through 16. Justification does not make one righteous. It is a judgment as to whether or not they are in a righteous standing. That is, they are judged as right or not guilty. An example of the difference between a judgment and a reality comes to us by way of a man named Ronnie Long. Ronnie Long was condemned 44 years ago in Concord, North Carolina to serve an 80-year prison sentence. The judge in his case found him guilty of a crime that we now know he was innocent of committing. He was at the same time innocent, and yet legally he was condemned. Now, thankfully, this past August, Mr. Long was released from prison after new evidence came to light that proved his innocence. But his condemnation, that is, the judgment of the, those who were over him, of the judge, meant that he would spend 44 years in jail despite the fact that he was actually innocent. We must understand the difference between a judgment and the reality to understand this term justification. Justification means to declare legally that someone is not guilty. Now what will God's judgment be of you when you come before Him? For He is the judge of all the earth and He will not get His verdict wrong. As Abraham declares in Genesis 18, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? God is not going to make a mistake. So you need to know how you might receive a verdict of not guilty how you might stand before the all-seeing eye of God and be justified and not condemned. For if the verdict is condemnation, then the result is eternal prison. But if the verdict is justification, then the result is eternal life. Justification is a legal ruling, a declaration of innocence. Now, the natural human answer to the question of why should God justify you is that you have performed well. You're asked, why should God let you into His heaven? Why should God justify you? And the natural response is to start building a case for yourself. You say, well, I've been generally a nice person. I haven't committed any major sins in my life. I'm better than 50% of people out there. Maybe you say, you know, I've heard that God uh, grades on a curve. So yeah, I've done a lot of bad things, but He'll overlook those things and let me into His heaven. Essentially, every human answer boils down to, I have been good enough to expect an eternal reward. There are others of you who despair. You think, well, there is no reason for God to let me into His heaven. I am guilty, and therefore God will not justify me. He will never accept me. But Paul says, no. That whole way of viewing your relationship to God and the way that He will judge you is misguided and misdirected. Look at our verses with the focus on the phrase works of the law. We're going to focus on what this phrase means. He says we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Okay, we have to understand Paul is continuing this conversation that he had with Peter. Right about Peter drawing back from eating with the Gentiles. So he's continuing this conversation with Peter and he's like, Peter, we know. Right, We ourselves, we're Jews by birth, we're not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now this phrase, works of the law, refers to keeping the commandments of God. It's not just the ceremonial law. It is the whole complex of God's commandments for how human beings are to live in this world. And Paul is saying that neither Jew nor Gentile is declared right with God by means of keeping God's commandments. This is not the right path to justification. This is not the proper means. If you were to come to God on the day of your judgment and say, I should be allowed into your eternal kingdom of life because I kept your commandments, you would not be found deserving of his eternal kingdom. You would be condemned. Why is that? Why will no one be justified by the law? Well, the first thing we realize is that we are all breakers of God's law. It is not merely the Gentiles who break God's law, as Paul says in verse 15, but it is all people who break God's law. Psalm 143 is alluded to here in these verses and it says, this is a cry to God, enter not into judgment with your servant for no one living is righteous before you. Our Psalm 130, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? And of course Romans 324, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why will no one be justified according to works of the law? Because everyone is guilty according to the works of the law. And God being a just and wise and all-knowing judge would not render a verdict of not guilty to someone who is patently guilty. God could not look at your life that is filled with sin and say that person is not guilty because God is a just judge and He will not give a wrong verdict. Now, you might object and say, well, yeah, I've only broken the small laws of God. I'm not Hitler. I'm not Stalin. Yeah, what a great scale to go with. But the Word of God teaches that if you have broken even one of God's commandments, you are under the full curse of the law. You can't claim to be slightly guilty if you want to enter into God's eternal kingdom. Listen to what Paul says later in chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. We'll get into deeper into these verses later on, but just listen to this. He says, for all who rely on works of the law, right, who trust in it, who put their faith in works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Or James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Why will nobody be justified by works of the law? Because we have all broken God's law and to break the law in one point is to be guilty of breaking all of the law. That is to say, guilty is guilty no matter how small you believe your guilt might be. Think of it this way. There's a man who is on trial for murder. And the judge asked this man, did you indeed put poison in the victim's cup. Why, yes, he replies, but only just a little bit of poison. Most of what I offered him was wine. I didn't put the whole bottle of poison into his cup, just a teaspoon of poison. Poison. I shouldn't be found guilty of murder because the vast majority of what I offered to the victim was good and healthful and nourishing. It tasted good is what he wanted. Why should I be judged guilty for giving him just a touch of poison? A good judge would say, you are guilty. He would not say, you know, you're right. You're free to go. Never, for the judge will condemn such a man who sought to conceal his wickedness within the veil of goodness. And so too will everyone who seeks to be justified according to their works be deemed guilty. We must understand this. All of our good works are nothing but wine concealing the poison of our sin. All of our good works are nothing but filthy rags, the Word of God says. And therefore, no one will be justified according to the works of the law. Because if you come before God and you offer Him your works, they will be evidence number one that will condemn you. No one will be justified according to the works of the law. So then how might we be made right with God? Is there no hope for this broken race of men? How can we have assurance that when we meet the Lord, that we will be freely brought into His eternal kingdom? Well, again, verse sixteen. This time, look at the looking at the phrase "faith in Jesus Christ." It says, "Yet we know that a person is not justified by works." You think Paul's trying to say something there, right? You've heard it enough. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. How are we to be justified? how will we be declared right with God? The text says, through faith in Jesus Christ. Or the parallel way of saying it, to believe in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only ground of assurance that we have that we will be found not guilty on the day of judgment and will be freely given the reward of eternal life. Paul is outlining what he said to Peter in reference to not eating with the Gentiles, as we've already noted. And he says to him, you and I know that we won't be saved by works of the law, right? We are Jews who have kept the law and all of its outward means. And yet we know that we will not be saved by works of the law. So don't lead anyone else down that path. For both you and I know that the only way to be accepted by God is through believing in Jesus Christ. This is how you can have assurance that God will open eternity to you by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is attained through faith alone and not by works. Now we need to take a moment to explain what it means to have faith in Jesus and why it is that faith in Jesus leads to being accepted by God as righteous and deserving of an eternal reward. To have faith in Jesus means at least three things. First, it means that you know the facts of the Gospel. Second, it means that you agree that they are true. And third, it means that you trust them is the only grounds of salvation. You have to know, agree, and ultimately trust your eternal destiny to Jesus Christ. Now, non-believers can know the facts of the Gospel, right? There are people who don't have faith in Jesus Christ, But they understand the outline of what the gospel is. They can explain it to you. Maybe they've read the Bible and they have seen very clearly this is what the Bible teaches. They know the facts of it. There are others who agree that the facts of the gospel are true. James even tells us that the demons agree that the facts of the gospel are true, that they know that there is one God and they shudder with fear because they know it's true. But it is God's people alone who know the Gospel, agree that the Gospel is true, and trust the Gospel for their eternal salvation. That is what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. An example that is often given to say what it means to trust is a chair. Right? You can look at a chair and say, yeah, I know that that will hold my weight. I know that it will keep me up. But True trust isn't just saying, I know that that chair will keep me up. It's actually putting your full weight on the chair, sitting down upon the chair. And to have faith in Jesus Christ means that you, one, agree, yes, Jesus is the only means of salvation, but two, placing the full weight of your eternal destiny on Jesus Christ and not your works. Now how does this faith in Jesus Christ lead us to being accepted by God? Well, as we have already seen, we are all sinners. God as a just judge should condemn each one of us. But the Gospel tells us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became man and lived a perfect life. Unlike us, He obeyed every aspect of the law and He earned by His righteousness the eternal reward of heaven. But to earn our salvation, Jesus Christ went to the cross and took on the guilt of his people. You see, this is the gospel of justification. Because the innocent Jesus took on the verdict of condemnation, guilty man receives the verdict of justification. Do you get that? The condemnation that was legally yours was placed upon Jesus Christ. And His legal declaration of not guilty was placed upon you. Because Jesus took on the punishment, we receive the reward. Because Jesus took on hell, we receive heaven. This is the great exchange that brings about salvation. This is the very heart of the Gospel. It's what Luther says is the doctrine upon which the church stands. It is the truth that Calvin said is the hinge upon which religion turns. No one will be saved by their works, but only by placing their full trust in Jesus Christ. So that on the day when you stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? You confidently say, I have done nothing to earn this reward. My works have earned nothing for me but condemnation. But my Jesus is my Savior and He has purchased it for me with His blood. He took on my hell that I might have your heaven. This is the only ground upon which anyone is justified by placing their full trust in Jesus Christ alone. That God has judged you not guilty because of the righteousness of Christ. So what are we to do with this knowledge? Well, first, we must ask ourselves, on what grounds do I seek acceptance with God? It's amazing how the enemy will keep you blind to this foundational truth. If you are trusting in your works, if you believe God will accept you because you're good enough you are standing on sinking sand and you do not have faith in Christ. You are not trusting Him. You are not putting your full weight upon the salvation that He has offered you. And therefore, we must trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. Trust that His punishment is your punishment. Trust that His reward is your reward. And if you are not sure that this is true, If you have not come to a place in your life where you have repented from your works and have turned to Jesus Christ, then I invite you to do that even now. There's no ritual, there's no work that needs to be done. Just right now, where you are sitting, do you believe? Do you trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation alone? If yes, then you have been sealed for eternity and God will accept you into His eternal reward. And if no, then I call you, turn to Jesus Christ. Plead with Him that He would open your eyes and that He would give you faith to see and to trust in Him. The second thing we need to do with this knowledge is we need to ask others what their hope for heaven is based upon. In the preparing for the Lord's Day, these two diagnostic questions that we began the sermon with are printed for you for your reference. But again, we need to ask people, if you were to stand before God and He were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Ask your children. Ask your family. Ask your friends. Ask your parents. Ask your neighbors. The Lord has put people in your life and they clarity to know the gospel before they can believe the gospel that is they need to know that the message of the church is not do enough good and god will accept you but rather it is you can never do enough good to be accepted by god therefore you must look to jesus christ in faith alone trusting that by his death he has cleansed us of our sins and by his perfect life he has earned for us the eternal reward for of heaven. all of you who believe, somebody was willing to confront you with this reality and call you to believe it. For me, it was my stepmother who asked me clearly what grounds, what right would I have to enter into heaven and then explain the Gospel to me. To whom is God calling you to ask this question? And to say to them, no one, will be justified by works of the law, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to You now. We are overwhelmed that You would show to us such grace for we are sinners who justly deserve condemnation. But because of Your grace to us and giving to us Jesus Christ as a substitute, we can have full assurance that we will be brought into Your eternal reward. Oh, Jesus Christ, we honor You, we glorify You, and we trust You. And we pray, O God, that You would send forth Your Spirit and power, that Your saints might be strengthened in their faith, and that You might call home Your children who have not yet believed, but who are sealed unto eternity. We pray, O God, that You would open their eyes by Your Spirit, and that being enlightened in the knowledge of Christ, And their wills renewed that they would embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to them in the Gospel. And we pray this in Your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.